Vine Pairs New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And I can't believe I said New York City headquarters. I'm actually still in Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, I was, gonna, I was about to but say, I was like, like, oh my God, dude, like, you're, oh my God, is you're, you're back. No, I mean, we're, we're in the process. We're, we're definitely going to reopen the office uh, in the next few months. But um, but yeah, I'm still in New York. I'm still in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's okay. It sounded good. Yeah. Uh, thanks, man. And, and it's aspirational. Let's put it that way. It is. So you're moving, huh? Yeah, I was uh, surrounded by partially full wine boxes. Uh, it turns out that like the single biggest component of this move so far has been moving drinks. Uh, That's hilarious. Unsurprisingly, own a shitload of wine and booze. And yeah, um, their boxes of wine are heavy. I knew this, but after a year out of restaurants, I kind of forgot just how much it sucks moving boxes all day. Where do you keep your wine? Do you have like a big cooler or do you have like a just in the basement or like what's your what's your what's your uh, method? Well, definitely one of the uh, considerations when my wife and I were house uh, hunting was that there had to be space for the wine because we had been keeping it in a in our garage at the previous place we were living, which was well, it was fortunately the garage there was actually very uh, stable temperature wise because of how it was built. Um, It wasn't underground, but it was totally shaded, which is really unusual, like just the reality of where we were living. Um, So it worked reasonably well and we kind of um, made do. But now in the house we bought, we have uh, a, a basement, which is, yeah, where all the, where the vast majority of the wine will live. I also, because I'm this kind of person also rent uh, like a storage uh, space at a wine storage facility, actually very close to where we live now um, where like the stuff that we're really collecting lives. So like the real, okay. the real, yeah, the stuff that like <laughs> has real potential. Well, not that we're collecting it for to sell eventually, but if theoretically we were going to sell any of it, that stuff is all a temperature can controlled warehouse uh and the other god knows how many like 500 bottles of wine are just here in our basement now or almost all of them 500 bottles of wine in the basement just about yeah i was counting it's like i had a lot of wine 82 wow well you know out here out here in the in the in the west we got lots of space so you know that is insane man it is it really is and in moving i was definitely like why do i own all this wine exactly because much of it i will i'm not sure if i'll ever get to drink although that that feeling is starting to fade because I was like, oh, man, like, you know, maybe in the over the summer, we can actually have people over and open like more than one bottle of wine at a right, time right, instead right. of one, which is like a novel concept or feels novel after a year of, you know, like opening a bottle of wine at most per day. So what have you been drinking then? Any all the wine that you're backing? <laughs> I, I was I was joking. Actually, it's very funny. My wife and I were going to have uh, had dinner last night and I was like. We got we ordered like some fried chicken from a, a place near us, and I was like, "She was like, what are we going to drink?" And I was like, "Oh, we'll have some champagne." Oh no, that's all over at the new house. So because we, uh, we haven't moved like the beds and stuff, so we ended up uh, kind of drinking um, just some uh, Chardonnay that I had lying around that was like honestly samples, and because I didn't particularly care for it, I'm not going to say who made it. And it was like, oh, and and this is God, this is going to be the worst moment of this podcast. I was like, this is what it must be like to not be a wine professional because I have like 11 random bottles of wine in the house and none of them go with what I'm eating. <laughs> oh, geez. I'm so sorry, Zach. I know. I, I'm suffering. Yeah, How about you? Really, uh, God, you know, I um, what have I been drinking lately? You know, I, I'm never prepared for this part of the podcast. I know. Uh, well, it's it's the first time we've done it. So that's cool. I know. Seriously. Who thought about this idea? I think it was your idea. <laughs> no. Um so this weekend, actually, we did a really fun thing, and we did a raid 
the sort of uh, the office because we had some some old stuff in the office that just you know like spirits that had been sampled that then we needed to sort of get rid of as as we're moving as we're getting ready to move back in. So I had some samples mm-hmm. of some of some uh, you know spirits we had tasted a few years ago uh, that was fun, but nothing like crazy uh, in that regard. Uh, the night before on Friday night. I had a really good like orange wine, but I forget the name of the producer. Again, I was at, I was at a restaurant with some, with two friends mm-hmm. sitting outside and my wife and the wine was great, but I have, I cannot remember the producer to save my life. Like I didn't take a picture of it. I was in deep in conversation, but it was a tasty. I'm going to have to get Naomi on this. I'll make her take okay. pictures. You got to take pictures of the wine. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that's that honestly, that's most recently. And then like, a. You know, on on Saturday night, I had a I went to a brewery near my house and and had a beer with Naomi, and we had a pizza, but uh, the beer wasn't very good. So as you as you did as well, I'm not going to name the producer. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, not going to do that. Brew pubs, not into them, but one of the yeah. I have a question for you, yeah, Adam, which is about so uh, so listeners uh, will uh, have perhaps already had the chance to listen when it comes out. Uh, we just ran on Friday a uh, your interview with the founders of Firefly. Uh, the yeah, story man. and talking about the sweet tea vodka and I, I in in talking about it on slack with some of the vine pair staff some of whom are younger than us i think it was uh, they were sort of taken aback at just how big of a deal that was and and like you know in seattle right so not the south not even you know uh anywhere close to it i was saying that you know for probably two solid years one of our absolute best-selling cocktails at the restaurant i was working at was sweet tea vodka and lemonade like the firefly yep. and it was like yep. this just it was so all-consuming and so i i i wanted to just say hey i really enjoyed uh listening to that episode and hopefully you all have listened to it if not go listen um but also like when did that hit your cross your radar um and like what was your initial response to it when you were trying it so i think it crossed my so it crossed my radar oh gosh basically right as I graduated college, I think, mm-hmm. or right after I graduated college. And I think it was someone still who lived in like a friend in the South who was like, Oh my God, have you had this? Like it's everyone's drinking it. And I was like, no, like what, what is this thing everyone's drinking? And then I started seeing it all over New York, like everywhere. And I remember thinking, wow, like sweet tea vodka, but everyone was obsessed. And it was just like the the hot thing. And I remember I'd see it at parties. People were, like you said, mixing it with lemonade, mixing it with more sweet, more tea, uh, all this kind of stuff. And it was the rage. And then, yeah, it, it kind of, it's, it's rageness kind of, you know, moved on for something else. But for a while, people, you know, it was like the new fireball, but not fireball, because obviously it wasn't this hot yeah. thing you're supposed to take shots of. But it was just this behemoth of, a, you know, of a product. And it's interesting to, to realize now that, you know, they brew it, not brew, they distill it in partnership with Sazerac, which I never knew. Mm-hmm. Which I learned on the podcast was really interesting. Um, also never knew it was from Charleston, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it was fun to do the oral history. We missed history an opportunity to go to the distillery. <laughs> I know, but it really was fun to do an oral history with them for this episode. Cause it was like, it really was, it's one of these products that like, I think everyone knew if you were, yeah. if you were of a certain, you know, I was in my early twenties. If you were of a certain drinking age at the time, that thing hit, you knew it, right? You definitely drank yeah. it. It definitely was at parties that you were at. Uh, it was definitely at restaurants you were going to. So it's funny because you know, obviously, some of you know a good portion of our staff is now in their early twenties. Uh, 
And so they were not aware of it, obviously, because when they were, yep. they, they were in their early teens, if not younger at the time that this yeah. hit. Um, so, you know, yeah. that's why they wouldn't know Firefly. I'm like, what, what, what is this? What is this? But yeah, it was, it was a lot of, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Excellent. Well, maybe we'll, uh, we'll investigate it. There's gotta be some other cool stories like that. Cause it also fun. Like it wasn't you know, like some of the other things that become big sensations in, in, uh, you know, in beverage alcohol or, you know, the products of massive, uh, R and D and, and investment. And, and it was fun. Cause this is kind of like, a well, let's just give it a try. And having yeah. had some Muscadine based wines, I'm like, eh, sweet tea vodka, probably a better use of your time. Totally. So. Um, so, you know, today's episode is, is, you know, devoted to sustainability and sustainability week. This is the first day mm-hmm. of Vine Pair sustainability week. So we are doing a, uh, you know, an online festival about, uh, you know, what sustainability means and all, all those good things. And one of the, uh, episodes that one of the events of sustainability week, if you have not registered, um, is going to be a live podcast recording, um, tomorrow night, if you're listening to this on Monday, so Tuesday. Um, but Vine Pair Sustainability Week is, you know, having conversations with winemakers uh, about sustainability. We're doing, you know, food and wine pairings, some some one-on-one classes, et cetera. Um, tonight, actually, if you're listening to this podcast on a Monday again, is a, is a one-on-one on Pais, which is, you know, a, a sustainably made wine in Chile. Um, but I thought we could take this opportunity to sort of just talk about sustainability in general, um, sort of, you know, why consumers should care about sustainability, um, you know, what it sort of means. And, you know, when you became aware of, you know, sustainability as a thing that that wineries and wine regions were sort of broadcasting to trade, especially. Yeah. Well, I think you you kind of got to that last point where I kind of want to start, which is yes, go. one of the start, most start important the last things. Part. <laughs> one of the most important things, I think, in this conversation is, is understanding uh, that the conversation around sustainability, I think, is an incredibly important one and one that I, I'm glad to see has become a bigger and bigger part of the broader conversation around uh, beverage alcohol broadly. And part of the reason for that is because I think sometimes, you know, a few years ago, maybe, I think it was it was very popular for for wineries, breweries, potentially um, even uh, distilleries, et cetera, to focus on only one portion of what I would consider sustainability, which was sort of the environmental impacts of what they were doing. And obviously, that's a hugely important element. You know, uh, I think it's it's wonderful to to be conscious of and supporting of organic agriculture in all its forms. I think to think about impacts in other ways, water usage, all that kind of stuff is is, is very important in, in, in one's carbon footprint and, and all of that. But sustainability, I think, and, and why I'm glad that it's the, the sort of way we're choosing to look at these things is goes beyond that. You know, it, it encompasses those kinds of things, but also looks at a lot of other elements that the beverage alcohol industry has really been forced to look at um, over the last couple of years in terms of um, equality and access, in terms of things like living wages for and, and benefits for employees, for the ways in which um, consumers, producers, the trade and media interact um, with one another and support one another in in sort of a, a positive and, and healthy way and and in that sense I think it's a really a pretty new conversation I mean I think that you know wineries and breweries have been broadcasting information about their you know green practices for a while now it's still not totally common for them to talk about labor practices in part because some of them frankly have kind of shitty labor practices, um, even if they are organic or even if they are biodynamic. And I think it's important for us in the, in the media and, and on the trade side in general, and as consumers 
to push to push these this industry to consider all of these things and more. I'm sure I've forgotten important things to to kind of bring this conversation to a level where where we're not just talking about one facet of sustainability. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a lot more and I think I'm glad we're having the conversation about sustainability, but I'm also, you know, even happier that we're ha- that we're starting to have a conversation about what it actually means. <laughs> right? Because yeah. I think, you know, we have this, you know, group of uh people who talk about it a lot now. And by group of people I mean, you know, wine professionals, regions, etc. But I think the idea of what what it is is actually so much more impactful than I think people realize. Like I think when I first started coming into wine, and I you know I, I promise you this is what I used to hear from certain people. Oh well, sustainability just means that like you don't want to bother getting the certification to like farm organically, mm-hmm. or that you're just like you're not really biodynamic. You're just sustainable. Like what does that mean? What does that mean? But actually, when you start talking to people that really believe in sustainability it actually has so much more to do with everything about wine on top of the farming, right? It has to do with like the people and how you treat them and how you pay them and how you take care of them. And, you know, it has to do with the the kind of products you're using in the winery, right? The kinds of machinery you're using, uh, the, the, how much, how much waste you're using, uh, how much, gas, you know, how, how heavy your glass is, all of that is what sustainability really is. And that has a lot, that, that's so much more impactful than just organic. Organics doesn't, uh, you know, regulate any of that. Yeah. Organics just says like the fruit has to be farmed according to these specific requirements. And then, you know, there has to be the, only these things are allowed to be used in the winery. That's it. It doesn't mandate what kind of, you know, what machinery is better for electric electrical usage or not. Right. It doesn't mandate, Right, yeah. where sustainability takes organics into account 100%, but also adds in all these other layers, which I think is so interesting. And I think importantly, too, talking about sustainability allows you to kind of find differing equilibrium points for different producers in different places, right? So as an example, right, in Washington State, where I live, you know, most of the growing region for wine is very, very dry. And so there isn't as much need for some of the um, sort of pest control in, in whatever way you do that as it would be in, in other parts of the world where moisture is a bigger issue. And and I think it can be tempting when you're one of in one of those regions to kind of say, oh, well, we're superior because we don't have to use you know pesticide or use as much pesticide or whatever. But the reality is is that like, you know, there are other considerations at play here, including like in Washington State, much of the grape growing happens at a remove from uh, the location of the winery. So wa- grapes are being trucked across the state in refrigerated trucks to get to wineries to be made. And this isn't to say, you know, tisk tisk or, or to or to try and again, say better or worse. It just means that if you're going to take sustainability seriously, you have to consider, as, as you were mentioning, Adam, every element of, you know, basically from, you know, from beginning to end of the life cycle of your product and and the people who who help, you know, kind of produce it and get it to market and all those things and and even your consumer and and you mentioned you know one piece of this i think is really important you talked about bottles and i think this is an area where we're starting to see some really interesting conversation around wine in particular but spirits beer too you know packaging is a is a big piece of this it's a big piece of how most people interact with the product and you know i think we're well past the days where you know we should be just 
okay with a ridiculously heavy wine bottle because it's a sign of, I don't know, prestige or whatever. Like I agree. you need a heavy wine bottle for sparkling wine. You don't need it for anything else. And it's just wasteful. It's wasteful of material. It's wasteful. It's more, you know, it's heavier and therefore is more, uh, requires more energy to ship and move around. And, and that kind of thing, right? Looking at all these facets of the industry and saying, hey, how can we be better, right? How can we improve it? That's to me what sustainability is about. It's not about, you know, just not using a few products in the vineyard or, or whatever, mm-hmm. because they're, they're forbidden and, and everything else is, you know, kind of greenwashed by that organic label. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think the biggest issue is that, you know, what sustainability causes us to do is have these conversations about, you know, why we need, like you said, these kinds of bottles anymore. And it also allows us to have a conversation about, and I'm going to go there, cork, right? Like, why does every single bottle need to be under cork closure, especially at certain price points? Like cork is extremely wasteful. Uh, You know, it's, you were literally taking from a tree. So we're slowly like, you know, hurting a tree, but also it's extremely wasteful. Um, You know, it's extremely easy to recycle screw cap, right? It's aluminum. Um, There are lots of studies that prove that actually many wines do much better under screw cap than under cork, right? We're we're risking so much less taint and things like that. And at a price point of like under 25 or 30 bucks, why shouldn't we just have the wines under screw cap? Also, it's way more convenient for me. Like when I, when I bring a wine, I don't have to like worry about, I mean, I know that it like totally, I mean, you know, like the, the, the corkscrew mafia is going to be like, you're killing our sales. But seriously, there's, there's just so many benefits to screw cap. And I know that this is probably something we're going to talk about actually, uh, you know, in, in many of the sessions this week, but you know, that's something that we don't think about. And that is sustainability. Also, you know, when we think about how are you getting your wines to market, right? So, you know, is there a more sustainable way to get them there? Is there, you know, a way that you can get them to market that is less, uh, you know, carbon, is more carbon neutral, right? So that we are actually mm-hmm. trying to figure out a way that we're we're burning less fossil fuels in order to get these wines to a certain place. Um, those are conversations that are really important to have. And I think more people care about it. Like, look, you know, climate change is a real thing. And we're all talking about this more and more and more. And climate change is impacted by all the ways that we go to bring wine to market, not just the way we farmed. Yeah, right. for sure. And I think, you you, you know, it, to me, there's a couple of, of points here that are worth making. One of them is, you know, not even just talking about closures, but again, you know, I, I'm a pretty, I've become a pretty, I think I'm a pretty big proponent of a lot of canned wine. Again, I think there's no compelling reason to me why a lot of the wine that people drink day to day couldn't be in can or couldn't be in Tetra Pak or couldn't be in bag and box. Like, we have to destigmatize those formats. They're perfectly fine for a lot of kinds of wines, unless you are a lunatic like me with a real wine collection. You know, you don't really need a bunch of bottles. They're they're a pain. I can attest to. They're just a pain in the ass to move individually, let alone Absolutely. you know millions of them across the world. And I think you know another thing to think about in this context is you know for a long time for for very good reason with wine in particular. You know, the product was shipped around the world. Unbought, you know, it was not put in bottle until it reached the destination because bottles are heavy and bought and it's finicky to, to fill them. And they're much more f- in, the, in, in both literal like breakage of bottles and just a lot of other ways. The wine is quite fragile in that setting. And I think, you know, you're seeing um, some of this happening, but I think it could stand to be even more so where, you know, if we lose some of the preciousness around, um, you know, uh, wine in a certain way, you know, putting wine in in um, 
tanks and things like that is fine. It's not damaging the wine. And again, for most of the wine that most people consume, you know, it would be much more efficient and much less wasteful to bottle locally um, or somewhat locally, as opposed to bottling at the winery half a world away and shipping those, you know, cases of wine bottles around the world. That's a lot of packaging that's being shipped just to get it to your door or to your store. And, you know, again, I, I understand why, you know, pushing back against some of these really entrenched things in the industry is hard. And and a lot of producers, I don't blame them, don't, you know, don't see the benefit to them. And, and you know, again, it's a it's a capitalist society for the most part. And, 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 you know, people have to make those decisions for their business. Again, you know, sustainability has to also include a business that's viable in yeah, most totally. cases. But I think again, it's it's incumbent on us and and you know listeners if you if you share some of these sensibilities to think about these things and say hey you know what I don't have to I can I can destigmatize wine that's shipped to the United States and bottled here or wine that's shipped to wherever and bottled uh, wherever it's going to be consumed or canned or or kegged or whatever it is um, and and I think that is a you know a step could be a step in the right direction at least yeah man I agree I so I'm like a I really love canned wine and I'm going to, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go there, which is, Do it. I feel like, you know, what's really important about why, why sustainability is so important is because it does take into account all of these other, you know, issues. And there's a movement of wine that is sort of telling us right now, it's like the cool kid movement <laughs> because it's, what could you ever be talking about natural? But my question to a lot of these winemakers is, what are you actually doing that's sustainable? Okay, I get that. Like you say, you're you know you're you're doing minimal intervention in the vineyard, and you're doing you know minimal intervention in the cellar. But you know, for you to be a really movement that I can get behind, what are you do? How are you treating your workers? How are you getting your wine to market? You know, most a lot yeah. of people are still shipping over in glass. You know, I, I, there's there are a few natural winemakers going into can now, but why aren't more? Like if that's if you know if these are wines you drunk young, like most natural winemakers say, then why aren't they just going straight into can? You know, if um, yeah. you know if and we and there have been scandals about how uh, natural winemakers have treated their workers, right? So mm-hmm. I think like all natural wineries to be natural should be, also be sustainable, right? That should be like if if we're yep. going to use that large term of natural, then if, if this is the purest form of wine, the purest form of wine is also the purest form of taking care of the environment, taking care of the people that work for you. So, you know, again, I would challenge people to think that way. And I would challenge all of us to think about, you know, the, the wines that we're consuming and the ways that those wines impact every bit of an economy. And I think, you know, we should celebrate the wineries that are doing things to try to, you know, empower populations to give people, you know, uh, jobs and purpose and things like that. Um, because that actually is what's the most important at the end of the day, wine is an economic product, right? And it can be an economic driver. And if you can, you know, figure out a way to be that economic driver sustainably, that's a really, really good thing. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, it's, it it goes beyond even sometimes, I think we talk about a lot about the direct, impact, right? We talk about the the environmental impact of a winery. We talk about, um, you know, the way that uh, uh, the, the company may treat its employees, but it's also about the surrounding community too. And I think that's another piece of this that's important and, and where, you know, we have both opportunity and unfortunately situations sometimes where where breweries, wineries, distilleries are are bad neighbors. And um, and obviously lots of examples where they're good neighbors. I don't mean to say one or the other, but I think it's, it's where, you know, <laughs> covering this beverage alcohol has become uh, a deeply complex 
task. I, I think it's made all the more uh, fascinating and, and rewarding and rich by, you know, kind of adding all this nuance and, and, and dimension to it. But it's a, it's a challenge to, to us too, you know, to you and me, Adam, to the Vinepair team, to everyone who, who covers this industry. And again, to consumers as well, you know, not every person listening is going to give a shit and that's unfortunate, but real. And that's fine. You know, that there's obviously lots and lots of product out there that, you know, where none of this stuff is really a consideration and, and the taste or the price or whatever are the thing that, that matters. And that's cool too. And, and obviously taste and price have to be a piece of sustainability too. The, the product has to taste good. It has to be right. affordable for, exactly. um, you know, for enough people. But at the same time, like, you know, looking at, you know, the question, you know, when I was younger, to come back almost to where you started this, when I was younger in the beverage alcohol industry, I thought for a while that the only thing that mattered was how the product tasted, right? You know, what, what was like in my class? And I think there was a certain, frankly, privilege and naivete in that, in that mindset. And as I became more... Um, established and learned more and traveled more and met more people. Um, I realized that as, you know, whether it was as a podcast host and writer, as a beverage director or what, I had power to, um, you know, affect change or at least to say in my space, hey, look, you know, these are the things that are important to me. And yes, obviously the taste is important. It has to yeah. be. But all these other things have to matter too, or, or at least they mattered to me and they matter to me. And, and I think it's important to sort of keep that in mind um, for all of us, you know, if these are things that matter to you and that, you know, we do your, your decisions, whether you're a, a member of the trade, a member of the media or just a, or a consumer or whatever, you know, the decisions you make the things you buy, the things you stock, the things you cover and the things you don't have impact. And, and we have to be a part of the, the movement towards sustainability as well. It can't just all be put on the producers. Absolutely. Well, Zach, this has been a great conversation as always. Um, we hope that everyone listening, if you catch this early enough during sustainability week, will be able to join some of the awesome events we have, uh, happening, uh, on our webinar, our webinar platform, uh, throughout the week. Uh, and yeah, Zach, I'll hear, I'll see you right back here next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.